Good morning. It's good to see you. If we haven't met before, my name's Tom, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to be speaking a little bit uh, from the Bible this morning, and I uh, want to uh, just draw your attention uh, to Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, you might like to turn there now. Uh, we've been going through this book of Ephesians, which is in uh, the New Testament, the second part of the Bible, uh, since uh, just uh, the beginning of this year. And we've been seeing how this, uh, this amazing letter written by a guy called Paul, uh, who was an apostle, which means someone who uh, helps to see churches started uh, and then brings some fatherly uh, care and guidance to those churches. We've been seeing this letter written by Paul uh, to this church in uh, Ephesus, uh, which is in modern-day Turkey. And we've been seeing how he's just unpacked for this church all that God has done for them. He's writing from prison, and he's reminding people who are mostly already Christians what God has done for them. And he's spoken to them about what God is doing in the world, how he has this plan to bring all things together under Christ, uh, his son, and how G through his son, Jesus Christ, he has brought people near who were once far away, who were once spiritually dead, He's now brought them into his family. He's saved them, cleansed them, breathed new life into them, brought them into the family, adopted them as his children. So we've seen these amazing truths, and it's now in response to those truths that in this letter, Paul starts to get quite practical. We're kind of moving from the sitting, as it were, sitting and taking in all that God has done to the walking. This is the pattern of Ephesians as a letter, but it's the pattern of uh, other books of the New Testament like Romans and other uh, letters where we have the gospel, the good news unpacked, and then it's, okay, so in light of that, this is how we are now to live. On the first message of this series, I shared that Christianity starts not with a big do, but with a big done. And that's how in response to what God has done for us, that we now live our lives. It's not we try and do some stuff in order to then get right with God. No, no, he has done it in sending his son to earth to live the life that we couldn't live and to die in our place. He has done all the work necessary for our salvation. And it's now in the light of these wonderful truths that we now give ourselves over to God. So this is kind of where we're at in the letter. We're at very much a turning point where in the coming weeks we're going to get practical. It's now about how the Christian life is walked out. And I'm really excited to get stuck into today's passage. We see uh, in chapter 3 that, uh, that it's now through the church. It's through God's people drawn together from very diverse backgrounds from all kinds of nations, from uh, some from, uh, from very poor backgrounds, some from wealthy backgrounds, drawn together as one new humanity in Jesus. And it's now how it's through the church that God wants to display his wisdom to the world. Now, when I was a teenager, uh, I was in church, going along to church, and I, I really wanted my favorite footballers or my favorite music artists to become Christians so that the world would think God's cool and Christianity's cool. I was like, if only Alan Shearer got saved, then people would think, oh, God really is worth following. Jesus is really worth knowing. And actually, what we see here is that it's through the church, through ordinary people who don't look very impressive, it's through the church that God wants to display his wisdom to the world. Yeah, it would be amazing if people who were quite high profile became Christians. But actually, God's plan is that through the church, he would display who he is to the world. His wisdom, his wise ways. And it's through the, the foolish things that God wants to show Jesus off. 
through the, through the weak things, God wants to highlight Jesus and people to see who Jesus is. And so this is what we're looking at today, how in the church, how we might be unified, how we might be unified despite our diversity, God could display his wisdom to the world. So we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. I'm going to start, and we're going to do things a little bit differently. I've invited my friend Hannah Alston to uh, kind of bring the second part of this message today. Uh, Hannah and John, who we just heard from, uh, are such wonderful people in this church. We love these guys to bits. And uh, they really demonstrate just pursuit of Christ-centered community in such a wonderful way. And I know that we're going to love hearing from Hannah in just a little while. So this is what uh, the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Paul here is talking about unity in the church. He's got unity in mind. Unity despite our very diverse backgrounds. He wants to see unity in the church. Now, we might kind of have in our mind unity between different churches, different denominations. I don't think that's in Paul's mind here. Although I will say we have good relationship with other churches uh, in this town. I had breakfast with a dear friend of mine, Harold, who uh, leads Ipswich International Church on Wednesday, and it was just wonderful to be with a man who I know loves Jesus and whose church is good news for this town. We enjoy good relationship with other churches here, but this is about unity within a church, unity within a, a body of believers in one church, and Paul's got unity in mind here. We are one in Christ. We don't have to try and create unity. We are already one, and we're now called to maintain unity, to maintain, to pursue unity, to not pursue uniformity where we all look the same, we all sound the same, we all have the same kind of gift. No, but to pursue unity despite our great diversity. And there is so much that can divide. And one of the schemes of our enemy, the devil, is to bring division in the church. And some of you might have known that uh, in, in years gone by where you've seen really painful things where it's come to churches being divided. Sometimes it can be the case that uh, our enemy, the devil, will want to distract us from Jesus and his mission in the world, and we get distracted with all kinds of other things, and we start complaining about the coffee or the, the color of the carpet and ridiculous things like this. We have our eyes taken off what really matters, and God wants us to be focused on Jesus, who's the head of the church, and his mission, which is to go to all the nations and make disciples of him and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That is our mission. But the enemy would want to bring division and take our eyes off that goal. And sometimes it's around things like politics. And people can get too into politics to the point where they see their political party and their political ideal as being the answer to the society's problems. And it can be divisive when people pursue those things too much. And it kind of divides churches sometimes. Well, I vote for this party and I vote for this party. It happens. And I, I don't believe, friends, that we are seeing this in this church. But this is something we need to be mindful of because we're in danger of it. 
I believe that where there is advance of the kingdom of God, where people come to know Jesus, and we're seeing people come to know him. We saw someone baptized last week. We're seeing um, a few more people baptized in April, which is wonderful. When we see these things happen, I believe the enemy will want to bring division and want to stir up division amongst people so that we're not unified. Because God wants to display his wisdom to the world through a unified church, through a church where people love one another and are not divided over things that are not uh, primary things. He wants to see a church that's unified, diverse in gifting, and growing in maturity, which is what we'll hear from Nick next week. So very quickly, before we hear from Hannah, how can we maintain that unity? Well, simply by walking in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. So if you know Jesus here, if you've placed your faith in him, you have received a calling. We, we've kind of had that unpacked for us in the, in the book of Ephesians so far. But we've received a calling. We've got a calling to fellowship with Jesus, we read in 1 Corinthians. We've been called to know him and to walk with him. This is our calling. We've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We were once in darkness, now we're in his glorious light and in his kingdom of light. We've received a calling and we now to walk worthy of that calling. And Paul unpacks some ways in which we can walk in these ways. And, and this word walk is a, a really crucial word because it's not the case that we pray a prayer one day and that's Christianity. We prayed a prayer once. No, no. Christianity is a walk with God where we work things through and we, we grow in him. So he says we're to cultivate humility, patience, and gentleness. We're going to look through these very quickly. Humility. Humility doesn't mean being shy. It means thinking about our self, our needs, our preferences, our desires less and considering others more important than ourselves. That's what humility looks like. Pride, the opposite of humility, means being filled with self. Humility is being filled with God to the extent that we don't try and grasp after our own needs and desires, but we want to serve others. This is what we see in Jesus, so filled with his father's love that he wanted to serve the needs of others. He humbled himself. He came to earth. He left his throne in glory. We've sung this morning where he's seated on the high, highest praise and he came to this earth, humbled himself, lived in relative poverty, knew, knew his friends and even his family misunderstanding him. He humbled himself even to death on a cross. So we're to cultivate humility as we consider Jesus, as we consider what he has done for us, as we consider that he did it for us, and if we were the only person on the planet, he would still need to do that. That he came to save us and he humbled himself. Humility wasn't something that was praised in the ancient world. It was, it was a, a characteristic that was looked upon with disdain. People looked upon uh, slaves and said, God, they're humble people. And in the modern world, right now, it's not praised. You know, self-promotion is a big deal. Promoting oneself or self-gratification at the cost of others is even praised. And so humility is not something that's held up. But Paul holds it up in pretty much all of his letters as a characteristic to be pursued. As something that we want to be pursuing. Humility. Christ-like humility. And I want to ask today, would people, would people encounter that? if they spent time with you? Would they taste humility? Or would they taste someone who's actually full of self, or full of pride? 
But they see someone who's been with Jesus. As I said, I was with my friend Harold on Wednesday, and I felt, this is a man who's been with Jesus. It was so obvious and evident to me. This is a, a humble man, a man full of Jesus. Humility leads to peace in the church, and pride is behind all discord. So we pursue humility. Patience. Patience is, is long, being long-suffering of the faults of others, of being, uh, of being aware that we're all a work in progress. That doesn't mean we don't bring challenge to people when we see them walking in ways that don't honor and please God. But it also means we don't have to police everything. And we can be patient and we can be prayerful and say, God, how would you have me approach this? How would you have me uh, speak to this person? We don't have to kind of see ourselves as the kind of holiness police. Say, well, they've been doing something wrong, I need to go and tell them. But actually to have patience and understand this is a long process by which God makes us more and more like his son, Jesus. We live on a street where it seems like all the learner drivers in Ipswich come and do their parallel parking, right? If you've ever learned to drive in Ipswich, you will have been to our street and, and you will have done parallel parking very slowly. And they're always out in force. Whenever I want to go to a meeting and I have to just wait for like four or five people to do a parallel park before I get off my road. And I'm so tempted to punch the steering wheel and say, come on. And then I realized this was me 15 years ago, learning to drive, doing painfully slow parallel parking, holding up someone else's day. We need to understand that God has shown us great patience. And he goes on showing us great patience. It's not like we suddenly graduate where God says, oh, you, you don't need to show you any patience anymore. He shows us great patience as we soak in the, the patience of God towards us. As we say, Holy Spirit, would you come and cultivate patience within me? We will grow in patience for each other. And it, it's frustration that boils over sometimes that is a threat to unity in the church. So we say, God, give us your patience. Sometimes for us, the microwave is too slow, right? We look at it and think, two minutes? I'm going to wait two minutes for my, my meal to be cooked. We need patience, Lord. Help us in this. And finally, gentleness. This isn't talking about weakness. It's, it's talking about strength under control. This is talking about people who might even have strong personalities who, by God's help, are the master of their tongue and the servant of others. We could do with that so much today, not just in the church, but in society, gentleness. I wonder if people, when they've spent time with you, would know I've been with a gentle person. Jesus, at times, was fiery, right? But he's described as gentle. He describes himself as gentle. People would have known, I've been with someone who's gentle here. Firm, not, not, doesn't, didn't compromise. We don't have to compromise on some things in order to be gentle. We can be convicted of some things and even teach things in the church here we think that's controversial in today's day and age we can do it with gentleness and gentleness really really matters because it points people to another reality it points people to Jesus so to pursue unity we've got to renounce self-centeredness we've got to say it's not all about me it's not all about my preferences it's not all about my needs it's considering others more important than ourselves to pursue unity, we must renounce impatience. It doesn't have to happen in my time. It doesn't have to happen in my timing. God has been patient with me for so long. And we must renounce harshness. I'm going to be gentle. Even when I have to bring challenge, I'm going to do it gently. I'm going to speak to this person with gentleness. May the words of my mouth 
and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord. I love that prayer from Psalm 19. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. And we're to make every effort in every possible way. It's so tempting, isn't it, to gossip? So tempting to slander because if we can drag anyone else down, it means that we might get puffed up in their view. But we make every effort. And Hannah will come and uh, continue uh, on this theme in just a moment. Let's welcome Hannah as she comes to speak to us. Hi, Hannah. Thanks, guys. Um, okay, so as Tom said, we're talking this morning about unity in the church. And what I want us to particularly focus on here is verse 3. And verse 3 says we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I don't know if you're kind of into taking notes, but if you are, I would like you to underline three things in that passage. The first thing is maintain. The second thing is unity of the Spirit. And the third thing is bond of peace. And Paul uses this word maintain or keep because we don't create unity. We're called to maintain it. Unity is actually an amazing gift to us, given to us as the church, of the Spirit. It's a unity of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that creates our oneness. And it's also rooted in the gospel. That's our bond of peace. The gospel that says, I'm at peace with God because of the work of Jesus, and I'm at peace with you in this room because we're united in that gospel. And if we read on from verse 3 through verses 4 to 6, what Paul starts to do is he starts to kind of unpack for us this beautiful and profound unity that we have in the body of Christ. And he says this, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. So why don't we just work our way through those verses and start to think what this, this means. So the first one is we've got one body, one spirit and one hope. And the picture that Paul uses here is literally of a human body. Like, I've got one body, but I've got different parts of my body. And Paul says, although we're diverse in background and diverse in gifting, we're actually called to be one. He unifies us as one. And we have one spirit. Now, I've already said it is a unity of the spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit that creates unity. It's also the Holy Spirit that empowers us to maintain it by giving us the gifts of the Spirit. And when we become Christians, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who points us to our hope. He's like the guarantee of our inheritance. So we have a shared hope together that one day we'll be with him in eternity. So we hope, don't we? We have this hope that one day there'll be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, but most beautifully, we have a hope that we will be with him face to face 
to share eternity with him. That's amazing that we have one hope. And then verse 5, it tells us that we have one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And Jesus is our Lord, isn't he? He's the one that we're living our life for. And through his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, as I said earlier, he's made a way for us to be at peace with God and at peace with each other. And we're all saved by grace, which is good news. There's no one special here. None of us are saved by works. We're all here because of a grace gift given to us in Christ. And then verse 6 says, we have one Father, one God, who's over all and in all and through all. And that really talks to us, doesn't it, about family. You and I, we have the same father. We have the same DNA. When we're saved, we're adopted as sons and daughters, brought into his family. And we're family together this morning. And these verses, they also describe to us the unity that exists within God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because God himself is unity, and he is the perfect model for us of a relational unity with each person in the Godhead um, loving and submitting to each other. Um, Jesus prays this in John 17, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. May they also be one in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. So God is a God of unity and relationship, and he invites us to be part of that unity. Now, unity doesn't mean that we're all the same, thankfully. And Tom's already said that, hasn't it? It's not conformity. It's not that we're all being made the same. But we see this in God, that he is three persons, and they're all equal, and they're all different, and they're there to love each other. And in the same way, church... We are made up of equal people. All of us in this room, we're equal, but we're different. Praise God, we've got different gifting. We've got different personalities. We've got different things to bring to the body of Christ. There's no special people. There's no favorites. We're all equal. And Paul uses this idea of a body, doesn't he? We've seen that already. And he says in Romans 12, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and having individually members of one another, having gifts that differ to the grace given to us. And we all have gifts. God has given us grace gifts. They're gifts so that we can serve each other. They're gifts for mission. They're gifts so that we can be one so we can celebrate our differences. It's a bit like an orchestra with different instruments in. Each instrument has a sound to make, a contribution to to make. But when you put all of those pieces together, you have a beautiful piece of music with all the different, different sounds that those instruments make. So let's go back again to this verse, verse 3. I don't know if you could put it up. It says, we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we've already said we're not called to create it. We're called to maintain, protect it, or keep it. We've said that it's a gift to us in the Spirit, 
and that's it's created in the gospel bond of peace, that we're at peace with God and peace with each other. So what about this word eager? Okay, you might use the word keen. Um, it basically means to strongly want something or have something. Some of the synonyms for eager are things like longing or yearning or aching, wishing. In the NIV version, it says, make every effort to maintain the unity of peace. And I think what Paul's saying to us here is, let's do everything we possibly can to pursue and maintain unity in the church. Let's protect against division, as Tom's already said. And I don't know about you, but I don't read that passage and there's no kind of passivity about it. There's not an indifference about it. I don't read that passage and think, my relationship's just about me and God. You know, we see throughout the book of Ephesians that God's whole purpose is that we're church together, that we're the body together. And I think that there's a commitment that God wants from us in this, that we would maintain unity. Um, And we can only be responsible for us, like Tom said. We're not called to police each other in this. It says in Romans 12, if it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So my next question is how? How do we maintain unity in the spirit? Now, Tom's already unpacked so much of this for us. If we go back to verse 2, Paul tells us, doesn't he? He says we're to do it through humility, through gentleness, through patience, and we're to bear with one another in love. Another passage that kind of tells us the how is Galatians 5. Galatians 5 says this, Let the fruit of the Spirit be love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. And I just really want to say that this, remember at the beginning I said it's a unity of the Spirit. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. It's also the Holy Spirit that helps us to live like this. Guys, we're not striving This is part of our identity in Christ. This is part of who he's made us to be, that we're spiritually being made one. Um, Yeah, so it's not a striving thing. It's something that God's going to help us with and give us what we need for. So I just want to go through some examples, maybe, of what this might look like. Um, Tom's already done some of this. So humility, okay? Humility is not about hiding yourself away. And I really felt to bring this this morning. We're a body, and we've each got gifts, and God doesn't want you to hide that gift away. That is not humility. He wants you to step forward when you can step forward, and he wants you to be active. He wants you to play an active part here and bring everything that he's given you to build up others. But sometimes humility is going to be about us preferring others. It's going to be about us respecting and honouring others. So sometimes that humility might mean that someone else's gift is more celebrated than yours. It might mean that someone else's gift is more on display for a season and you just get to enjoy that for them. Um, The second thing he says is gentleness. And I think this is really about the way we treat each other, that we might be kind, 
compassionate, gentle, soft, that we don't kind of force our ways on others and kind of fight for our agendas. Um, and I think sometimes to protect unity, we've got to walk through some difficult things with each other. We've got to bring things to each other that can be hard. And if we do that with gentleness, that's always going to be more fruitful, isn't it? I can think of um, some times when I felt hurt by leadership and I've kind of had to take that to them in kind of a you know, gentle and humble way. And you don't know how much freedom that brings when you get to walk some pain through and come out of it thinking, you know what, they're for me, they love me, this is all right, we're in this together. Um, I think another, John and I, we're in a cross-cultural marriage, which is a beautiful thing. Um, but sometimes we can approach things so differently. We think about things differently. We're from different countries. We're from different backgrounds. We've got different worldviews. And we have to learn in our marriage to talk things through when they could be painful. And we have really found that if we do that with gentleness and kindness, that we're going to come out better the other side. So patience. Tom's again already said this, but praise God we're all on a journey. You know, praise God we're all a work in progress. Um, none of us are perfect. We all get things wrong and we can be patient with each other in that. We can help each other. And again, I don't think this means not bringing it things to each other. You know, we want to see other people grow, don't we? But we want to have patience and compassion for them. Um, so the third, so after that, Paul says, be humble, patient, gentle. And then he says, bearing with one another in love. And I think sometimes in church life, we're just assuming, we're just going to choose to see the best in each other. We're just going to choose to love each other, to stand in unity together. Um, I can think of things, you know, for example, if someone doesn't invite you to be on a team, maybe someone has a social gathering and you're not included, let's just choose to assume the best, shall we, and just be unified. Let's not get offended quickly. And I think one of the really practical ways that we can do this is by not filling in gaps. And let me just explain to you what that means. Has anyone else ever done that thing where you have a conversation with someone and then you walk away from that conversation and you start to kind of replay it in your head? You start to analyse things. Oh, did they look at me a bit funny? Or, oh, when they said that, did they really mean this? And we start to kind of fill in some of the gaps. And sometimes what the enemy does is he sort of latches onto those things and we start to hear his lies like, I don't think that person likes you. I don't think that person, you know, values you. And that is really where disunity and pain kind of creeps into our hearts. And what happens is the next time we see that person, if we've believed a lie, we kind of interact with them a bit differently. We might kind of avoid them or just treat them a little bit differently because we've believed something that wasn't even there in the first place. And let's just remi be reminded of this verse. Let's be eager to maintain unity. 
Let's be leaning in to trust each other, to love each other well, to pursue relationship with each other. So we're going to be hum- we want to be humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love with the Holy Spirit's help. We're not on we're not doing this on our own. And I've just got one more thing I want to share um, which is I think we should I think we can get really good at being thankful for each other. Okay? It says in Psalm 133, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And I don't know about you, but I want to be in the blessing of God. I want to be in God's blessing. And I want to be eager to maintain unity amongst us. And the truth is, remember this thing about the body, each of us in this room has a unique gift and a unique contribution to make there aren't two people the same, and that is a wonderful thing. And we honour and celebrate all of the gifting in this room, okay? There is so much, and we're so thankful for it. And one of the things we're going to do at the end of the service is we're just going to have some space for us to be the body together. And we're going to do some encouraging of each other, because I know there's people in this room that you, that you love, And there's things in them that you love and you want to honour and encourage. So we're going to leave space to do that at the end. But I'm just going to model it for us, okay? So I'm just going to tell you about some of the people in my life group and why I am really, really thankful that they're in this church. Okay, so the first couple that I just want to honour is Paul and Mira Goldring. These guys are really, really faithful, okay? They're faithful in prayer, they're faithful with the word of God, and they're really faithful about telling people in their workplace about Jesus. And I am so thankful that they're in our body. I'm so thankful that they're in our church. The second couple in my life group is Stephen and Ruth Gray. Um, These guys are really fun. These guys let John and I take our kids around their house and make loads of mess. And we're really thankful for that. We really enjoy our time with them. And the way that they care for people is outstanding. They have a deep care for people. And Stephen has this thing. He just makes everyone feel relaxed. He just accepts people. He has got such a gift for that. And I am grateful that he's in our church. And then another couple that I'm very thankful for is Alex and Flick. Now, Alex is a fairly new Christian. He got saved on Alpha quite recently, and these guys got baptised during lockdown. And what I love about um, Alex and Flick is that they are keen to serve the church. They are so on the front foot with this. They're on Sunday Rotors. They're on the Alpha team. They invite people around for dinner. And they are so good at loving people and just getting stuck in with church life. And I am very, very, very thankful for them. And really excitingly, a couple of their friends gave their life to God about two weeks ago. So that is amazing. (laughs) Um, So can I just invite the band to come up? Um, 
like I said, we, we've got some time. So we're going to sing together. And then after that, we're going to get active and mobile. Okay, you guys up for that? Yeah. We're going to get on our feet. We're going to cross the room and we're going to go and encourage someone. Um, but let me just pray for us. If you want to stand... Yeah, Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for this beautiful gift of unity that you've given us in the Spirit. Lord, we thank you that we're adopted into your family, that we're sons and daughters, and that we are one. Lord, this passage speaks to us of being one, and we are one in you. And we thank you, Lord, for that unity. And Father, we just want to do all that we can to maintain this beautiful gift of unity that you've given us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Will you just come by your Holy Spirit, Jesus? Will you just stir us? Father, I pray that as we sing this song, you will be giving us encouragement for others. Lord, that we might look around this room and say, who can I encourage? Who am I thankful for? That person, I'm so glad God's put them here with me. I'm so thankful that they're in my church family. Lord, will you just come by your Holy Spirit as we just remind ourselves of the oneness that you've given us and sing about these amazing truths that we're, we're one. We have one God, one Father, one Holy Spirit, one Lord who is over all and in all. Will you just come, Lord Jesus, and minister to us. Help us to lift your name high as we celebrate this amazing gift of unity that you've given us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.